I want to welcome all of you who are joining us online today for this online worship service. If you are keeping track like I am, this is now our 10th weekend in a row where we have been worshiping together through this online only um, service. If you'd have told me back in the middle of March that we would still be doing it this way for the next 10 weeks, I would not have believed you at all. But here we are. 10 weeks later, and we're still having online services only. You know, I want to take a moment. I just want to thank all of you for sticking uh, with us through this. All of you who um, called New Life your home, you're just being so faithful. And I can't tell you what that means to me. I think we can all acknowledge that none of this has been easy. I do believe that our very best efforts are on display each and every weekend through our online worship services, but even at that, um, the fact still remains. We miss each other. Isn't that true? Even though we put our best foot forward online, the fact still remains. We miss being with one another. We miss the sweet fellowship that comes from being together in the house of the Lord, worshiping him. We, we miss being in the full house of God. We miss the energy of hundreds of people singing together and, and praising the Lord. We, we miss sitting side by side with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with our Bibles open on our lap and, and learning together and growing in our faith together. We, we miss the warm smiles, the firm handshakes, the gentle embraces. We miss the laughter over a cup of coffee or a slice of pizza or a glazed donut. We, we miss the sights and sounds of children running through the halls of our church. We, we miss the sight of the shuttle running through the parking lot, picking up people and dropping them off because there's no more room in our parking lot for any more cars. We, we miss leaving church and having those conversations about what we've learned and letting those conversations carry over into, hey, where do you want to go to lunch? We'll talk about this some more. We miss the support. We miss the closeness. We miss the intimacy that is often felt here when we gather together, especially in those moments where you might find yourself in a small group of people and you're just praying together and you're encouraging and lifting each other up in prayer. We're missing those opportunities that we've become so accustomed to of serving the Lord, whether it be through, through any of our adult ministries or our children's ministries or, or reaching out to our guests. We all miss those things in the name of the Lord. But I want you to hear me. I promise you. It will be like that again. I don't know when, but it will be like that again. I hope that it's sooner rather than later, but I can tell you what we're gonna do in the meantime. In the meantime, we as a church family are simply going to be faithful. We're going to continue to seek the Lord's wisdom. We're gonna have our eyes open. We're gonna have our ears attentive to all the things that the Lord wants us to learn through this entire process. We are gonna have feet that are ready to jump at any opportunity that the Lord puts in front of us. We are going to stay committed to advancing the purposes of Jesus with or without the full use of our building. We will never be silent in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what we are going to do and continue to do. So let me just encourage you, church, let's stay the course.
And we're gonna come through this even stronger than before we entered it. Can we begin by just voicing a word of prayer to God? Would you join me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we just lift up our church family. We lift up this entire season that we're in. Lord, our prayer today is that you just help us be faithful and strong and see this thing through. Lord, keep us unified and spiritually healthy, Lord. We, we do not give the devil even a glimpse of any input, a foothold in anything that we're doing. We absolutely reject his influence in your name, the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for all those who are watching this today. Lord, I pray that they will be filled up with your knowledge, that Lord, that we will all grow and that Lord, the end of all of this season of coronavirus that we're in, that Lord, we will come through it stronger, more faithful, more dedicated, more on fire for you than before it started. Lord, we pray that your grand purposes will be seen through it and Lord, we are thrilled that we get to be a part of what you're doing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, as many of you are very well aware, we are studying our way through the book of Revelation. And I've been through Revelation a number of times in my life, but I can tell you that this series that I'm preaching through right now, it is the deepest dive into the book of Revelation that I have done. And I can tell you right now that it has been fascinating for me. I have learned so much. This has been such a season of growth for me personally, studying through the book of Revelation. Um, the Lord has used this study to connect a number of dots that, uh, that have helped me so much. It's just I can tell you, it's just been a, a refreshing season for me. And I'm just curious if that has been your experience as well. Uh, if you're learning, if you're growing, if the Lord is showing you some things, if you've learned some things that you didn't know, if the Lord has connected some dots for you as we've studied through Revelation so far, I'm gonna ask you right now to hit that like button um, on your iPhone or your, your Android or your computer, however you're watching this today, and let everybody know who's watching with you right now that this has been my experience too. Yes, the Lord is showing me some things. I want the whole world to know that God's not done with me. He's working on me. So just hit that like button if you're having the same experience that I'm having. Last week, we went through Revelation 6 and 7, and we learned all about the opening of these seven seals. And what did John see when each of these seals were opened? John saw a vision of the complete future in abbreviated form. What he saw was the course that the future will take, starting in his time at the writing of the book of Revelation and carrying that through all the way to the end of time. That's what he got a vision of. That's what he had a glimpse of. That's what he saw. And what did we learn from, from this glimpse of the future? We learned that we are living in the last days. The first five seals represent things that have always taken place. In every age, in every era of man, we have seen these very kinds of things described with the opening of these first five seals. You know, it's descriptions of great suffering that we've witnessed, like military invasions and conquest and bloodshed and famines and economic hardships and even death itself. And what else have we seen? We have seen the death of Christians that has been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The Christian martyrs. What else did we learn? 
we learn this. We can be rest assured that while all this is happening in our world, God is taking very close note of those who belong to him. He is marking people for salvation all throughout these last days. And that's what chapter 7 was all about. That even though Christians are not immune to the suffering that our world endures, we do not have to endure the everlasting effects of it. We have been sealed. We have been marked by God. Yes, we sometimes get caught up in the crosshairs of a broken world, but we have learned that God has put his fingerprints on us. He has marked us. He has sealed us, and we win in the end. Why? Why do we win? It's because our faith right now is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross and there's resurrection from the dead. In other words, three days later, he came out of that tomb and we believe it with all of our heart and we are saved. We are marked. We are sealed. And when the Lord returns... We will be with him. The Lord is coming back. He will destroy all the evil. He will vindicate the good. That's the sixth seal. Finally, we see the seventh seal. That is heaven. I, I don't know. If that doesn't get you excited, I really don't know what will. will. The, the, the seven seals of the book of Revelation, it is the first of three visions that John has of the complete future. And now we come to Revelation chapter 8. And if you haven't done so yet, why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8 because we're going to be spending the majority of our time in chapter 8 and chapter 9 today. But before we read any of the verses from those two chapters of the Bible, can I ask you a question? How many of you remember the good old VHS tapes? How many of you remember? Here's a picture of one here at the bottom of your screen. How many of you vividly remember um, having a VCR and watching movies with a VHS tape? You know, nowadays with Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus, there is an entire generation of people who will never have to endure what we endured. And if you relate to what I'm saying, then you're part of the we and what we endured. They will never understand, really, fully, the illustration I'm about to give you, but I believe that they'll be able to track with this because I know if you're in my generation or older, you're totally gonna get what I'm about to say. You know, back when I was a kid, if I wanted to watch a movie, what did I have to do? What did you have to do? Well, we couldn't just grab our iPhones and five seconds later pull up Netflix and be watching anything that our hearts desired. No, 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 no. If we wanted to watch a movie, we had to go down to a video store. And we had to walk through that store and we had to browse through thousands of VHS tapes until we found the one we wanted and then we would rent it. The most famous of these stores is called, was called Blockbuster Video. Do you remember those? If I had to guess that, the, I would say the only connection that Blockbuster Video has with anyone who was born after the 21st century had started, it is that store that Captain Marvel crashes through the roof of when she initially arrives, arrives back to Earth in 1995. It is that store. This is the one I'm talking about, Blockbuster Video. For those of you who remember Blockbuster Video, we'd go there and we'd rent movies, and then what would we have to do before we brought them back? 
we would have to rewind the tape. Do you remember? Remember sometimes, you know, back then stores would sell just videotape rewinders and, and they came in all different shapes and sizes and designs and they were meant to rewind the tape. And if you did not rewind the tape before you took it back to Blockbuster, what would happen? Well, they would fine you like 50 cents or they'd charge your account like, like a dollar and they wouldn't let you rent any more movies until you pay, paid your fine. Kind of like a, an overdue library fine. It was very much like that. And so what did that cause? I can tell you what I did. I just went to all the video stores and opened memberships and, and I waited until I racked up unrewind fees um, on all those. Then I finally paid them. Yeah, you probably did the same thing. All oh, the kids today, they'll never understand the struggle, will they? In Revelation chapter eight, we are going to rewind the tape, so to speak. We are going to rewind the tape and we are going to watch the same movie again. You see, we just finished learning about the seven seals. That's chapter six and seven. Now we are gonna learn about the seven trumpets. That's chapters eight through 11. The seven seals and the seven trumpets, they are the same movie. They are describing the same thing. And then after we learn about the seven trumpets, we are going to rewind the tape once again and we're gonna watch this movie over again because in chapter 15, we're gonna learn all about the seven bowls. So I want you to understand something very clearly. The seven seals, followed by the seven trumpets, followed by the seven bowls are all describing the same events. Last week, you might recall that I tried to share with you that, that Revelation is not meant to be read in chronological order. And, and what I mean by that is, it's not like we start at chapter one and go to chapter two and chapter three, and all throughout each chapter, all throughout each of these chapters, it builds a cumulative argument that leads all the way up to chapter 21. And, and in chapter 21, oh, the Lord comes back. This is what we've been waiting for all through the book of Revelation until chapter 21. No, that's not how Revelation reads. It, it's not, it doesn't build cumulatively, you know, like we would assume other books of the Bible do. No, by the time you get to chapter six, the world has already come to the end. Not chapter 21, chapter six, the world is over. And it will come to an end several more times throughout the book of Revelation before you get to chapter 21. And that is because the bulk of Revelation, the, the heart, the meat of Revelation that we read, it's all about these three sets of seven judgments known as the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. Each of these three sets of seven is narrating the same sequence of events. In other words, all three of these things, seals, trumpets, bowls, are all telling the same story, but each time it gets told, it's told with what seems like a little bit more intensity than the time before. And what exactly is that story? If they're all telling the same story, what is the story? The story is this. We are living in the last days. Look around. We all can do this. We look around and see the brokenness in our world. There's war. There's famine. There's, there's death. There's economic disasters. There's conflict. Christians are suffering right along with all of this brokenness. And we get caught up in this brokenness just like others. But the Lord is coming back and everything one day will be made right. So be warned and be ready. Only those who have been sealed by God will be victorious. That 
is the story. That is the vision that, God, that John sees. And it starts in John's day and it will end in heaven. So in chapter eight, we're gonna rewind the tape. We're going to now move from the return of Christ and the end of time as represented by the opening of the seven seals. We're gonna rewind the tape and we're gonna go back to earth. We're gonna go back to the island of Patmos, back to the beginning of the last days. And we're gonna start this story over. Only this time, we're going to have a little slightly different point of view. These seven trumpets see the same story, the same events from a slightly different perspective. Let me explain how that is. When we went through the seven seals, the question through those seals opening was, who can stand? Who can stand up under this? And, and, the, and the question was answered in chapter seven. The people of God can stand. The people of God can endure all this brokenness and pain and suffering that's happening in the world. God will mark them and help see them through. And in the end of it, we get to be with the Lord forever. Christians can stand in the last days. The seven trumpets, on the other hand, well, it's the same story. It's the same timeline Except the seven trumpets, they move, uh, they, they, they're, they're more, rather, from the perspective of the person who will not be victorious. So if the seven seals is a glimpse of the end of time through the lenses of the church, the winners, the Christians, the seven trumpets is a glimpse of the end of time through the lenses of the lost, or in other words, the losers. So look at Revelation chapter eight, verse two. John says, and I saw the seven angels who, who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. So the first vision of the seven seals, it is over. We are moving on to the next phase of this vision and John sees seven angels and he sees them getting seven trumpets. So in this second vision of the complete future, seven trumpets will be sounded. You know, again, same story, same movie, but instead of seven seals, it's seven trumpets. Now, let me just remind you, what does the number seven mean in apocalyptic literature? It's a symbolic number that just symbolizes completeness. It symbolizes fullness. So the seven trumpets, and like the seven seals, and later the seven bowls, is describing the complete full picture from the time John received the revelation in, in around 95 AD or 96 AD, all the way to the end of time, whenever that may be. So let's read. Look down at verse seven. Here's how these seven trumpets, or the start of these trumpets get, get sounded. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. A third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. 
As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in the midair call out in a loud voice, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. Friends, I just want to say this qualifier right now, and I've mentioned this several times throughout our study, that we could, if we wanted to, spend massive amounts of time dissecting each and every symbol that we just read in these few verses together. And there is great value in doing this. And I would imagine that as we're going through Revelation, this study is sending some of you on to these trails and these deep dives into these, in these studies. Um, there is a risk in doing that though, however, for our purposes. We can easily spend so much time on the individual brushstrokes of the painting that we fail to take a step back and see what the whole painting looks like. It's kind of like trying to judge what a, what a puzzle is going to look like by looking at just one piece. And there is a danger in doing that. We might miss the big picture. So I want to just look at the big picture here. For our purposes in our study, I want us to capture what is happening in Revelation. What do these four trumpet blasts represent? Well, if you go back to John's first vision of the seals, we saw that the first five seals represented what? You know, military conflicts, bloodshed, famine, economic hardships, the you know, martyrs of Christians, all of those things. It really was the result of the sinfulness of mankind. That's what we see, that, that Christians suffer of, uh, under the hands of sinful men who've created many of these hardships. The first four trumpet blasts, on the other hand, represents what seems to be like these insane natural disasters. The first trumpet, what happened? It destroyed a third of the earth. The second, a third of the sea. Third trumpet, it saw the, the third of the earth's fresh water destroyed. And the fourth took a third of the heavens. Now, again, if I was going to take time and really dive down deep, I would start to unpack um, all the similarities that we read in Scripture of like the ten plagues of Egypt. You know the Exodus story? And how they parallel the seven trumpet blast of Revelation. There, there are some very strong connections between these two events, the 10 plagues and the seven trumpet blasts. You see, in the story of the Exodus, God's people were what? They were in bondage. They were trapped. They were mistreated. They were slaves. And what did they do? They cried out to God for rescue. And so God sends Moses, and what does Moses say? Let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way, I'm not doing that. He refused to relent. He refused to obey God. And so what did God do? One by one, God starts to send plagues onto Egypt. And each plague was getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, 10 plagues in all until Pharaoh relented and God's people were delivered from that slavery and they made their way to the promised land. You know, I've often wondered, how much easier would it have been on Pharaoh if, if, if he just had one plague, the first one? And he said, that's enough, God, I hear you. I, okay, I relent, I'm sorry. The Israelites can go, I will worship you now. How much easier would it have been for him on that? But that's not what he did. It took 10 plagues. You know, in many respects, respects, the 10 plagues of the Exodus story is not unlike the descriptions of the seven trumpet blasts. In many ways, the goal of the 10 plagues and the intentions of the seven trumpet blasts are exactly the same. 
Everyone, open your eyes and see the warnings of God that is all around you before it's too late. <clears throat> it was too late for Pharaoh, and he suffered greatly. But like, but like Pharaoh, people don't relent to God either. People today and all throughout history. There's people today that even though we see all of these warnings around us, they refuse to honor the Lord and they suffer great loss in doing so. But the people of God, the church, those who are marked and sealed, well, what happens to us? We are actually rescued from this. We move on to the promised land, i.e. heaven. That would be a great study. For anybody who's watching this today who says, I want to take a deeper dive into these seven trumpets, let me set you down this path. Start to unpack the similarities and the parallel thinking between the 10 plagues of Egypt and the seven trumpet blasts of Revelation. But for our time today, these first four trumpet blasts represent, in a general sense, natural disasters, exodus plague-like disasters. So in the story of the last days, not only do we have to put up with the evil schemes of rotten men that we see in the seven seals that, you know, we also have to suffer natural disasters right along with the wickedness of the world. Remember, all of these things, the seven seals and the seven trumpets, they are to serve as a warning. Change your ways before it's too late. And friends, if we miss that in Revelation, then we've missed the whole thing. This is a warning from God. So when we see hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and droughts and tsunamis and earthquakes, destruction that is all around us, it should serve as a reminder that these are indeed the last days. Everything in scripture points to this reality. We are experiencing what the Bible calls the labor pains and the return of Christ can happen at any moment. The Lord can return. The stage is set even for his return before I am done preaching the sermon today. And so the truth is this, you need to be warned and more importantly, you need to be ready because if the Lord returns and you are not ready, it is too late. And that's the reality of Revelation and that will become even clearer the deeper we get into it. You know, a, a, a little side note here, something that kind of surprised me studying through the book of Revelation is that it caused me to think about some things that I'm just gonna be honest with you, I've never really spent much time thinking about before. Namely, the topic of caring for our planet. I definitely believe that we should take care of our planet. I've never been somebody who thinks we should abuse it or, or any of those things, but in all honesty, I am not a tree hugger. Um, I never pay attention to Earth Day. I hope that's not a shock to you. Um, I don't have bumper stickers on my cars that say things like, save the whales or save the trees or anything like that. And if I'm being completely transparent with you, and I try to be completely transparent with you, when conversations come up of things like man-made climate change and uh, green initiatives, those tend to just kind of annoy me, if I'm just being honest with you. Back in the 90s, I remember the story of a woman named Julia Hill. Maybe you'll remember her too when I tell you about her. She climbed a tree in Northern California, and she lived in that tree for over two years. And she did that as a protest to the logging industry, and she wouldn't come down for nothing. And as long as she was up in that tree, which the tree she was in, she, she, she named the tree Luna, and it became like this real person to her. 
As long as she was in the tree, in, up in Luna, um, they couldn't cut it down. Finally, after a couple of years, 738 days to be exact, they got her to come down. And I remember watching this on the news when it happened. I, I remember the day it happened and she came down and, and as she touched the ground, she just collapsed on the ground and she wept and she kissed the ground. Then she got up and she hugged the tree. She hugged Luna. And, I, and I'm being serious when I tell you this, that I can respect the passion and the drive that kept Julia up in that tree for 738 days. I don't have to agree with her, but I can respect her passion and her drive. I can honestly tell you that I would never give two years of my life to save a tree. I would never sacrifice my life for a tree. And in fact, if I ever got so passionate about a tree, I, I can tell you this right now. If somebody said, Joe, get out of the way from that tree or we're gonna kill you and cut the tree down anyway, I would say, well, excuse me, you're gonna wanna start cutting that tree really down low. Make sure you get a good cut first because you want the tree to fall in the right place. That's exactly what I'd say because I'm never giving my life for a tree. But these trumpet blasts got me thinking about some things that I'm just gonna tell you, I'm gonna spend some more time thinking about because my mind's not completely made up about it. But here's what I'm thinking about. As you go through and read these trumpet blasts, you read things like trees and green grass are destroyed. You read about how sea creatures die. Um, how the earth's water supplies are become bitter, maybe even polluted, and killing a bunch of people. And I think about all the water systems in the world that are undrinkable right now and even countries that, that you'd get sick if you drink their water. Waterborne diseases and things like that. Um, I don't know. I, and again, I don't know this and I'm, I'm, being, I'm admitting this. But is there any chance that uh, John is presenting with these seven trumpet blasts also the case for abuse of the planet and all the wrongs that are being done to the planet in this present evil age. Could it also be that what we see around us and, and, and what gets so many people fired up about our planet is actually one of the warnings or the realities of living in the last days? Now, I'm hesitant to even allude to that because it is such a political and polarizing issue in our world today. But the reason I, I do bring it up is because of what John says after the seventh trumpet is blasted. Now, we haven't read it yet, but I'll fast forward to Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. Listen to what he says. This is after the seventh trumpet blast, and it's time for judgment in the end of the world. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small. And then it says this, and it's a time for this, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. I'm gonna be honest with you, that can mean a whole lot of different things. And I'm certainly not ready to stake my claim on any of my thoughts. But I think what we need to remember, and this is what has challenged me, we need to remember that God was very proud of his creation. You go back and read Genesis and the creation account, God said over and over, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is very good. Sin has warped everything. And I don't think that we can honestly fully understand or appreciate just how damaged that this world has become because of the sin of man. And not just people, but the Bible talks about how this entire planet earth is under a curse and how the earth, along with people, will also need to be redeemed one day. 
I think about, I think you could make the case, there are times that the earth does get abused to serve evil ends of mankind. Um, I, I think in light of these trumpet blasts and these natural disasters, I just look at that. These are all things, whether man-made, God-sent, whatever, the results of sin, they all still serve as a warning that the return of Christ could happen at any moment. The very fact that there's a mention of God destroying those who destroy the earth, well, maybe that should at least make us think for a moment. Then we come to the fifth trumpet. And then there's a new twist in the movie, in the story. Let's read it together. Look at chapter nine, verse one. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of scorpions when it dies. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. What is this new twist? There's language in here that doesn't immediately make sense to us today. You'll see, when the angel sounded the fifth trumpet, here's a few things to, to just keep in mind. A star shoots out of the sky and falls to earth. Let me just tell you something. In apocalyptic literature, stars represent angels or messengers. Not all messengers, not all angels are good. And this particular one that, that shoots from the sky and falls to the earth, well, he's a bad one. He, he's not a good one. He's a bad one. And he is given the keys to the shaft of the abyss. Now, let me also just give you a little heads up. You need to know this when studying the book of Revelation. The abyss, references to the abyss like this one, nothing good comes from there. Okay. If you're taking notes today, why don't you just write that down? If I read the word abyss, nothing good comes from there. He opens it and you know something bad is about to happen. What comes out of the abyss? Well, we, we see smoke like a gigantic furnace. You know, I'm thinking of like a, you know, some kind of just massive uh, smoke plume that, that, that comes out of there. And then what also comes out are these locust-like creatures with scorpion power. These are powerful beings. And, and you know, I, I read through the book of Revelation, and the deeper I get into it, I start to think, you know, this, start, this is starting to sound more like a scene from the movie The Hunger Games or from Jumanji. That's what this is starting to sound like, but it's not at all. These, these locusts with scorpion power, you know, they could torture anyone that did not have the seal of God on their forehead. So, so you, you get the impression that there is some protection from these creatures that comes from being in the family of God. Like, like the targets of these locusts, is, it's, it's, it's like they're limited. They, they can't hurt the people of God. They can do things to the people of God. They can lie, they can cheat, they can, but, but they can't hurt them. They're, they're limited in some way, but they could torture anyone, but they could not, the, the people have the seal of God on their foreheads, but they're gonna, they're gonna inflict major agony 
on the world. Now jump down to verse 11. They had, now the they is these locust creatures. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon, that is destroyer. The first woe was past, two other woes are yet to come. Can I, again, can I cut to the chase and can I help us all focus on what the big picture is of what's happening here? Because there's a lot of things that we're learning are happening during the last days that we're living in. We are learning cumulatively here that, that, the, that the sin of mankind is going to produce military conflicts, bloodshed, famine, economic hardships, death, and, and the persecution of Christians. That all is, is happening in the last days. Uh, this is a warning that the return of Christ is near. And the return of the, the last days are also going to be uh, witness to all kinds of natural disasters and things in the cosmos. All of these two serve as a warning that the return of Christ is near. And now John's vision also reminds us of this reality that is spoken about in many other places in the Bible. It is this, that Satan and his demons are also a reality in this cursed world. That in these last days that we are living in, this part of the labor pains are the result of God allowing Satan and his demons to unleash chaos and havoc and evil in the world. And so the king of these locust creatures is really a description of Satan and his demons. Okay? The king of these locust creatures is symbolic. This is talking about Satan and his demons and their work and activity during the last days. Now, now think about it like this. The four trumpets unleash like the uh, elements of forces of nature. The following trumpets will instead unleash the demonic forces of hell itself. These are the days we're, we're living in, friends. So why in the world would any of us not expect to be confronted with evil and hardships and disaster and danger these are the days we're living in. Now, there are many more details that we could unpack together here, but a number of them will come out naturally as we get deeper into the book of, of Revelation. But our purposes are what? I want you to see the big picture with these seven seals. I want you to see the big picture of these seven trumpets. And so that you don't miss what it is, the big picture is this. Again, we are living in the last days. God is warning the people of the earth that if they do not repent and follow him during these last days, very bad things will happen. Ultimately, their entire eternity will be lost. It's fitting, I think, that God chooses a trumpet to sound this warning. Throughout Scripture, we read about trumpets all the time. Throughout Scripture, trumpets signaled monumentous things are about to happen, like, like perhaps the king is about to enter, or a trumpet might sound that the army is about to attack, or even the trumpet might, might you know, sound divine rescue is coming. Trumpets in Revelation are a warning. That's what they are. They're a warning. And the message of the trumpet blast is this. You better make yourself ready. Each and every one of you. You better make yourself ready. That's what these trumpets are blasting. The sad reality is that most people will not heed 
the warning. Isn't that sad? Look with me at the end of chapter 9, all the way down to verse 20. By the time we get to chapter 9, verse 20, six of the seven trumpets have already been sounded. This is what it will be like just before the return of Christ. Would you read it with me? The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, and stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. They did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their theft. The sad, sad, sad reality of these last days that we are living in right now is that despite all these warnings from God, despite God's immense patience, and despite God's clarity of, the, of his word and the voice of the church, there will be many who will never humbly repent of their sins and believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They will never receive the mark of the Lord, the sealing of the Lord, not because it's unavailable to them, but because they never heeded the warnings and turned to God. Friends, here's where I'm at in my study today of the book of Revelation. Everything in Revelation points to the reality that we are currently living in what is known as the last days or the labor pains. This is the, the time during the sounding of these first six trumpets. You know, when I think about what's happening in our time today, the coronavirus, I couldn't begin to tell you all that's implied there, but I can tell you what it should shout to us is that we are living in the last days and not everything in this world is right. Do you think God planned viruses, disease, and illnesses for his perfect creation? No, he did not. So what should we take away from the coronavirus? This world's broken. And it's not as it should be. And one day, all of this is going to come to an end. This is all part of the warnings of the opening of the seals and the sounding of the trumpets and later the pouring out of the bowls. I have no idea when Jesus Christ is going to return, but I do believe that we are living in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet. Again, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, 10 minutes from now or 10 years from now or a thousand years from now. I have no idea. But I do believe we are living in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet. You see, when the seventh trumpet is sounded, that will mark the final judgment, the end of time. God's patience has run out. His slowness in returning has come to an end and the fulfillment of God's redemptive purposes will come full circle with the sounding of that seventh trumpet. Now next week, I wanna give you a little preview. Next week, we're gonna dive into chapters 10 and 11, which I am so excited about in our study because chapters 10 and 11 happened before the sounding of the seventh trumpet and it's all about what the church is supposed to be about until the return of Christ. 
What should the church be doing while we wait for the seventh trumpet to blast? And I don't want you to miss next week because next week what we unpack together will completely tie up all seven trumpet blasts and you are gonna be inspired. You are gonna be challenged. You are gonna be encouraged about being a part of God's family, the church of the living God and about what is to come. So you don't wanna miss next week. But until then, I'm gonna leave you with this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 and following says this. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, what Paul is acknowledging is every single person that's passed away, already sealed by God, is with God right now. Your loved ones who, have, who are Christians, who have died, they are safe and sound in the arms of Jesus right now and they are waiting for the day too of when Christ will return. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, verse 16, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with what? The trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Church, be encouraged. We win. The gracious God, I am so encouraged by what you have in store for us. And yet, at the same time, I can be discouraged that many will never see it. That even though you have put in front of us all kinds of warnings that all point to you, that we will all stand before you without excuse one day. And even with that, many will not be ready. Lord, I pray for each and every person watching this today, that Lord, if they are not ready, they will make themselves ready. That Lord, even right now, they will go to their knees and they will bow their head in humility. And they will say, Lord, I'm tired of living life my own way, by my own rules. And, and, and I am warned. I have, I have received what was your teaching me through Revelation, God. I want to be on the winning team. And right now I'm not. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I repent. Lord, please welcome me into your family. I believe. I believe. Lord, I pray for anybody that's taking that step right now, that, Lord, it will be the beginning of what is the most fruitful, wonderful life they could have ever imagined. Lord, we give you all praise and glory for your salvation, that you stepped out of heaven and you walked this earth and you showed us the way and then you died for what you created us. Oh, Lord, I pray you help us never take that for granted. Help us, Lord, always to live faithfully for you each and every day while we wait for your return. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.